This is the Court Leader's Advantage, a podcast series for court professionals and by court professionals. Brought to you by thecourtleader.net and in cooperation with NACOM, the National Association for Court Management. The preliminary results from NACOM's Voice of the Profession survey revealed that folks thought that this year's number one issue was the public's confidence in the courts. Over 95% of those responding reported they either agreed or strongly agreed that NACOM needs to advocate on behalf of the courts regarding the public's confidence in our court system. This result is no surprise. The 2021 National Center for State Courts State of the Courts Survey conducted this past October revealed that the public's trust and confidence in the courts has sunk to a new low. Only 64% of those surveyed had either a great deal or at least some confidence in our courts. Now, a common response to this issue is that we need more outreach to the public. If we could just explain to the community what we do and why we do it, they would immediately embrace the court's central role in society and our government. This has been disparagingly referred to as the to know us is to love us approach. There are indications, however, that the community actually knows more about the courts than we think, and yet they are still less than satisfied. I can think of three examples why the public might have a negative impression of the courts. Many folks, including our fellow court professionals, think that courts are overly complicated, particularly for self-represented litigants. Excessive fines, surcharges, and user fees that are piled on by courts can hobble defendants guilty of relatively minor crimes. And courts can exhibit subtle yet systemic bias against people of color, against the mentally ill, and against the poor. I'm Pete Kiefer, and welcome to the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. This month, we're going to explore how we think the public sees us and what we can and should do about it. Some of the questions we'll explore include, why do we think the public's confidence in courts is declining? What can and should courts do about this lack of confidence? What is NACOM's role in addressing this challenge? And what advice do these court professionals have for the rest of us? I'm joined today by Samantha Wallace, Assistant Court Administrator for the District Court in Coeur d'Alene, Idaho. Greg Lambard, Trial Court Administrator for the Superior Court in Middlesex Vicinage, New Jersey. And Danielle Trujillo, Court Administrator for the Municipal Court in Littleton, Colorado. Thank you all for joining today's podcast. The National Center for State Courts 2021 State of the State Courts Survey reported public confidence in the courts is now at 64%. This is down 12 percentage points from the 2018 survey. Let me start off by asking, what do you think is behind the public's declining confidence in the courts? Samantha? I will touch upon one of your assertions, bias in the court system. Uh, But to answer your question, I think the public lacks confidence in the court's ability to dole out justice. They don't view the justice system as being just. You see the mass incarceration of nonviolent individuals for what we consider low-level offenses now, who are disproportionately people of color, low-income individuals, and people who have mental health disabilities. You know, I live in Idaho and people still go to jail for possessing marijuana, even though it is legal all around our state. 
I think it's difficult to ask people to have trust in a system that in their view does not dispense justice. So how can a system be just if it is full of entrenched biases? You know, the public sees biases within the court system, especially from people in positions of power, such as judges. They see racial bias, economic bias, gender bias, and those biases are what erodes the people's trust and faith in the courts. Greg? Those are all very good points that Sam makes. I think uh, also a large part of the, the downward trend at the moment is the times we're living in. Climate change, a pandemic, all sorts of, uh, I don't know what you, let's say a challenging political environment have really gotten people a lot more you know, anxious, a lot more worried about things. They see government as maybe not taking a full swing at these things or not really doing well with some of these things. And they lump courts along in with it. And the kind of odd part about it, I mean, like you're right, they, we always have been the, you know, come see us, you'll love us sort of uh, industry. But, and people who work on the courts really are good people. It's not a political game to us. We do what we do to help people every single day. But I don't think the public kind of sees it that way. I think they just lump us in with the politicians and everybody else. And so it's kind of guilty by association a bit. Also, just it's been very tough and trying times. Um, for staff, for litigants, judges, everybody. Danielle? Yeah, I agree with both Samantha and Greg. Public perception becomes reality, right? And so we're in a difficult time where accessibility over the last couple of years has been what we've been challenged to do as courts. How do we drastically change traditional services that we've been providing into the 21st century. So number one, when people feel like they can't walk into a courthouse and get justice, it becomes a problem. When they can't participate um, in the technology that we've now said you have to participate in, right? There's not accessibility for everybody. A homeless person doesn't have the same technology, so how do they participate in their court hearing? So accessibility has to be our number one kind of address and recognizing that our intention is not really what has come through or shined, right? It's the user experience and the impact that it's had on defendants, witnesses, and victims. And so our, our intention has always been to serve justice, but the impact hasn't been there. So we need to focus on the user experience and the impact that it's having so we can drastically change services so they're actually meeting people where they're at right now. What do you think courts can do to address this lack of confidence? And what do you think courts should do about it? Greg? I guess the, uh, the short answer is we got to communicate better. We have to do some self-promotion. We're, you know, we're kind of a stodgy, uh, conservative industry, if you will, but always kind of in the background when it comes to uh, with judges. But um, we need to kind of come out and say what we do, be proud about it, you know, send out press releases, make sure we get some word out there. A lot of us have programs where we go into schools and look, talk to younger kids and try and get them an understanding of what the court does and how it does it. We haven't done them in a long time because of the pandemic, but you know, reinstituting court tours and doing those sort of things to help educate folks. It is really educating folks what we do and what our role is and how we perform it, uh, that's important. But I think the last thing, which the pandemic actually did a very big favor for the courts with moving us forward with the use of IT, like never would happen. And the fact that that's happened now, we need to embrace it. We can't backslide. 
I mean, I know a lot of um, the legal community judges and attorneys are not entirely comfortable with the virtual world. Some like it for certain reasons, but other ways uh, they don't. But we really need to embrace it, especially with the newer generation being so tech savvy. Uh, taking a step back really just isn't a choice right now that we have. So I think that would help though, uh, because the act, it increases the access that people have. We've been finding better rates of uh, less federal appear at certain courts. So we're having some success. We need to keep it rolling and we need to get a little more vocal with what it is we do and, and our successes. Danielle? Yeah, I agree with Greg. Good communication builds trust and it's the number one thing we can start doing, whether that's advocating for ourselves on web pages or news releases, um, also just communicating what the process looks like, right? That accessibility factor is um, there's a lot of legalese in most of our forms. How do we create them so they're more plain language and have infographics and are common diverse languages, right? So that way people can understand the process and really find their way through it. The other uh, key piece is good customer service, right? Focusing on that user experience. The way to build back trust is through good servant leadership, right? So if people are coming through the courthouse and have a positive user experience, means that they're actually then feeling as though it was equitable. And so if we can create good customer focus on that experience and have those frontline workers, those court clerks, marshals, having a positive impact and relationship with users, I think it'll gain us back a lot of trust. Samantha? Those were all fantastic answers, and I agree wholeheartedly. I think one other thing the courts can and should do is uh, hold the court system more accountable. The court system is designed to hold the public accountable for their actions, but it seems from a public standpoint that the court system itself is never held accountable. It's a very difficult and painstaking process to remove people who are in positions of power who are accused of biases. For example, judges. I mean, obviously we have amazing judges, but I've personally seen some judges exhibit biases based on gender identity, race, religion, you know, et cetera. Even if someone speaks up, nothing of significance is usually ever done. There are seemingly no consequences to their actions, yet it is their sworn duty to dispense consequences to everyone else. I think showing that people in power are held accountable for their actions would go a long way in restoring the public's trust in the court system and in government in general. What do you think should be NACOM's role in addressing this challenge? Greg? We've been doing a... As you pointed out, we started this conversation with uh, saying the, the voice of the profession survey has led us to this moment where we know that public confidence in the court system is the number one issue for our members. We've done the survey three times and every single time it's the number one issue. So kind of knowing it was like that, that we've also now also asked our members what NACM should do. And members say they would like us to collect best practices, success stories, and lessons. Uh, they want to provide public education and educational material. They want us to create model policy statements and suggest standards. They want us to provide information and education to other branches of government on this topic. And they want us to highlight research. There's some other things, but those are the, really the top ones. Personally, for me, I, I would love NACM to do some marketing for our profession. I mean, I, it, maybe it's a kind of a crazy idea, but at least in, around my state, the unions for, say, teachers, they have commercials. They show teachers doing great work. They show people, you know, loving their teachers, this and that. 
I would almost like to have something like that for the court system so people can, you know, see us in a positive light or kind of see the bigger picture. It's tough when it's your case and you're involved and it's your life. So you're not really looking around at what's going on around you when you're here. But um, if you take a step back and look at the, you know, the positive effect we have on life in general, the rule of law that we provide, I think people would uh, you know, maybe come around a bit on that one. So that's my own personal one, though. <laughs> Samantha? Well, I think NACM can be a voice to address the historical and current biases of the court system that we all need to be aware of. The problem's not going to be corrected until it's recognized that there still is a problem. The last NACM conference in July, which is actually my first one that I went to, was about racial biases in the court system. Uh, NACM can continue to bring people from all over the country together so their voices can be heard. In the future, I think it would be a good learning experience for us if some of the speakers would be the people who have been through the court system and have been directly affected by the court system's biases. I think something that NACM can continue to do is showcase the ways that other courts are improving their own court systems. One example that comes to mind is the plenary regarding uh, cash payments at retail sites. It was brought on by the Arizona courts. Uh, they found a way that could potentially make it easier for people to pay their court fines that also improved the amount of payments they were receiving. So continuous improvement and innovation is vital to our justice system and the public as a whole, and it is beneficial for NACM to demonstrate examples of that to us and to the public in general. Danielle? Um, I think Greg brought up a good point too about standards. You know, other government entities such as law enforcement have a strong um, standard-based accreditation system that they found has opted to um, focus and limit their liabilities, but also to um, provide a level of transparency. We've not been able to tell our court stories, right? And so having help in telling the good work that we're already doing um, and that we are focused on best practices throughout the country, whether you're a municipal court or you're a county court or you're a district court or state level court, right? Those practices can be implemented across the board. And so being able to come up with a set of standards that every court can use and giving them some examples like Samantha is saying, of, here's how you do it. This is what the work actually looks like. Here's what an infographic really looks like and giving us the tools to do that across the country. I think creates a uniform story for all of us um, that the public can really accept. I think Samantha's right on board with how do we continue to tell our story, but also recognize that it hasn't always been perfect, right? And how do we move forward to say, we understand that with this service comes a level of power and we're not going to abuse that, that power. Instead, we're going to use it in order um, to provide equal access and equal outcomes, right? And meet people where they're at and understand that our problem-solving courts can really create a different story for a person that needs to have that line of courts experience. That's not for everybody, right? Because there's a user that just wants fast and wants to pay their speeding ticket at King Supers or your local grocery store, right? And so we found success in that too. So understanding that there's different paths to justice and really taking into account that there's a user experience for each of those paths and how do we better serve each of those users and then telling the story as to why we're allowing 
all those user experiences to be different, right? That there's not just one baseline of justice. Not everybody has to have a jury trial. That they don't have to have that experience if that's not what they want. But we provide that service if that's the that's the resource that they need and that's the access that they want to have. If there is one thing that you would change about our current justice system, what would that be? Samantha? Well, we absolutely need more resources for the courts. Um, I mean, just in Idaho, it's estimated that it costs $75,000 a year to incarcerate one individual in prison. That's money that could be going to things like government-funded rehab clinics, halfway houses, classes, and educational opportunities to help people improve their lives. The way our system is set up now just leads to an endless cycle of poverty. You know, historically, the justice system has been very punishment-oriented, whereas now the main focus should be rehabilitation. The system makes it difficult for people to get ahead after being released from prison, even though it costs less in the long run to give them the tools they need to be successful in society so they aren't forced to return to criminal activity, you know, continuing the cyclical nature of being a part of the system. I don't want to be all doom and gloom, but I mean, we are moving in the right direction with programs uh, like Danielle said, specialty courts, you know, like mental health court and drug court, where the priority is rehabilitation. Uh, they've been, you know, they have proven to be effective, but we need to invest more resources in similar programs. And unfortunately, there are numerous individuals who don't qualify for those specialty courts. So the only choice the judges have is to send them to prison or release them in society before their underlying problems are changed. So the big thing is we, we need to give the courts more funding. Greg? Mine's a little bit simpler, I think, and I think actually the, we're starting to work on this. It's basically to root out systemic and personal bias from our system. I, I think we're all starting to wake up to this uh, like never before and the whole uh, DEI, diversity, inclusion, and engagement um, efforts are really something that we need to keep going forward with. Danielle? Yeah, I agree with both Samantha and Greg, and I think one thing that I would change would definitely be kind of that traditional mindset. Like Greg stated earlier, we can't slip backwards. We have to keep moving forward. We have to keep driving forward. We have to embrace the technology. Obviously we need resources to do that. We are always seen to be the underfunded department, right? Or, or division. Um, we don't ask for a lot of things because we're okay with what we have and we've, we've embraced our traditional mindset. But what we have to do in order to move forward is, is ask for more funding, ask for more resources, ask for more personnel to deliver a better level of customer service, right? And to move us forward towards making improvements so that way we can conquer that systemic bias. What is the one takeaway you would like those tuning into today's episode to come away with? Danielle? Oh, great question. Um, public service has a direct impact on trust. And so the level of service that we provide at each of our courthouses is important. And to take that very seriously, you're impacting people's lives, whether it's a traffic ticket, they potentially could lose their privilege to drive, or somebody that potentially is going to spend time in jail for pleading guilty uh, to a criminal offense. And so you're really impacting people's lives in this way. And so to take that call to service seriously and help them through the process the best that you can. Greg? Yeah, I think uh, 
we've had a lot of it. I think active engagement with the community is going to be very important. A, uh, a full compliment if we can get the budget <laughs> of highly professional staff who, you know, realize the day to day, it's a tough job. You're dealing with a lot of people under stress, but you've got to be able to keep a nice and calm and cool demeanor and make sure that they get the, the, the service that they need. It's also about fully embracing IT and the new world that we live in and, you know, not backing up on that and letting people know that we are going to do our best to use these tools to increase access to justice for everybody. I think all those things are, are very important as far as uh, increasing the public confidence. That's kind of, it's those combinations, the combination of those that really speak to me. Samantha? Mine's very simple, hope. <laughs> there is hope for our justice system. You know, there will never be a perfect system. Uh, but if we continue to ask the question, how can we improve the justice system? and then actually set about doing it, uh, we can make a better future for you know, future generations. Constant vigilance. I wanna thank Danielle Trujillo, Greg Lambard, and Samantha Wallace for joining us today and offering their opinion on the voice of the profession and public confidence in the courts. I think this episode has been a perfect invitation for all of us to think more on this topic. As always, my thanks to you court professionals tuning in to today's episode. You are the forward face of the courts every day, and it's your professionalism that keeps the vast majority of the public placing their trust in the courts. Thank you. Join us in January for another episode dealing with the issues facing our courts. This has been the Court Leaders Advantage podcast series. I'm Pete Kiefer, and thanks for joining us today. Thanks for joining us today. The Court Leaders Advantage is a regular podcast on courts and court administration. Today's episode will be available on our website, on YouTube, on Facebook, on iTunes, on LinkedIn, and on Twitter. Become part of the conversation. If you have questions, comments, or ideas for future episodes, email us. Our address is podcast. that's all one word, at nakemnet.org. Did you hear an interesting comment by one of the panelists that you would like to listen to again, but you don't want to search through the entire episode to find it? The additional resources section of the webpage contains a question time marker sheet. Just find the discussion question on the sheet, and next to it is the time that question was asked. You can then quickly fast forward to that time in the episode and listen to the panelists' comments. Remember, if you don't have time to watch an episode, you can always listen to the audio version. Listen in your car or on the bus on your way to or from work. You never have to miss an episode. I'm Pete Kiefer, and on behalf of our guests, the Court Leader website, and the National Association for Court Management, thank you, and have a great day. The views, information, and opinions expressed during this episode are solely those of the host and the individual presenters. They do not necessarily represent the position of the National Association for Court Management. 